It's in James chapter 2, which we are going through the book of James at this time. And as you are turning there, I was thinking, what if this morning, when you entered, you had to enter into this building in different ways? All those who make $150,000 or more a year get to come through these doors, get donuts and coffee, and find the best seats in the house. If you make $75,000 a year, then you get to enter this door with no coffee or no donuts, but you get to entrance from the parking lot. Fill in behind them. If you make less than that, you get to go in through this door. Again, no coffee or donuts, and you get whatever seats are left over. I thought about those who make $25,000 a year or less, you get to enter and be escorted upstairs to that room up there that has no sound in it, and you can watch the service from a distance. And those who make $5,000 or less get to sit in their car in the parking lot and live stream it. And if you don't have a job, then you can go find a church down the street. I mean, isn't that ridiculous? I mean, that's obnoxious to even think that that would be requirements of anyone entering into the place to gather to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we see James teaching is in that illustration I point out, is that favoritism is not to be anything that is a part of your life. You are not to show favoritism to others based on who they are, their status, their finances, or whatever you would measure that by. So the question, if you are a follower of Christ this morning, that you and I must ask is, am I a person who shows favoritism to others when the Word of God tells me that that's not to be a part of my life? Have you ever been tempted to look down on other people, those people that are annoying to you, those people that uh, are not at some level in your mind at the same as you? Are you tempted to look down and to ignore those people and to show greater attention to those people that you want to because you see something in him, them that others do not? James is very clear that this is a serious and grievous thing for the body of Christ, and it's not to be a part of it. So the scriptural truth we see from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, is that when we show favoritism, we deny our faith in Jesus Christ. Look with me at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 this morning. James writes this to the church, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? The word of God. We're blessed every time that we can open the Bible because it is the words of God for the people of God 
so that we would be instructed in how we are to live by faith in Christ. Father, again, we ask that you would bless the preaching of the word. We also pray and ask that you would bless the men from our church that are gathered at Camp Utmost and as the word is being preached there as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't been with us, we have been in the book of James, and we saw even recently last week uh, in James chapter 1, the very last couple uh, verses, that a Christian is to be a doer of God's word and not just a hearer. And we'll see this again in the book of James, that if you are a follower of Christ and you read the word of God and it's clear on how it instructs you to live, a Christian is to do the word of God. And at the same time, we must be reminded that we can't do the word of God unless the spirit of God dwells in us and helps us and enables us to do so. But we are to be obedient because, as the Word of God says, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love Jesus, you will obey him. And that comes again by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Last week, his example, he ended, and, we, and, and I was able to listen online from home as I had my arm up on the couch with ice, and I think I was kind of in and out of it, but the part that I did hear as uh, Nate was preaching uh, was this... Uh, this need to care for widows and orphans. And he talked about religion and what is religion and what it is not. And you would think, well, James is kind of just throwing out things here and there and all these topics that don't line up. But it's clear when you read the book of James that God has instructed him to write this in a specific way. So now James moves from being a doer and hearer of the word and he brings a specific situation or a problem or an issue that he is addressing in the church at that time. And so the first verse, if you look at it, in the first point, he says, don't do it. Simply don't show favoritism. There's no place for it in the life of a Christian. He says in verse 1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He writes to them and condemns favoritism. Now, do you think that this is an issue that only happened when James wrote to the early church then? Is there by chance favoritism being shown today among believers in churches? Some of you would say, yes, I've experienced that. I've seen it. Or maybe you, some of you would admit, say, yes, I've shown favoritism myself. The word partiality there or favoritism means to judge to accept or praise a person on the basis of their outward appearance, wealth, race, rank, or social status. And when I was thinking of this this week, it made me think back to junior high and high school. Some of the, 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 the worst times where kids are so mean to one another based on how you look, based on what you wear. And you see groups of people with other people because there's favorites and you show favoritism, and you learn to survive by striking back with words and showing favoritism yourself. But James says this is not to be a part of the life of the believer or in the body of Christ. If you show favoritism, you go against God's clear command to love your neighbor. If you're showing favoritism, you are not loving your neighbor. And who is your neighbor? All those that you come in contact with. If you show favoritism, even more seriously, it shows us that we are not 
consistent in our faith in regards to who God is. The Old Testament repeatedly stresses that God is not impartial, that he doesn't show this favoritism. If you are, are following along, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 is one place. God looks at the hearts of man. He doesn't look at what you are wearing, how much money you have, your status in a society. He looks at your heart. And in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So tying into the book of James, even the verses we saw at the end of chapter 1 and what we see today. And if you go back to James as you are turning there, as you, a, a reminder or a point to reflect on is that you, as a person and follower of Jesus Christ, are to imitate Him. We are to not be showing favoritism because our Lord, our God, our Savior does not, and therefore we must follow that example. If you look back at verse 1 of James, it says, our, it says, our Lord Jesus Christ, I love this, it says, the Lord of glory. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, therefore we should always be declaring all glory for anything good in this life to him, and it's a wonderful place that you should look to in regards to addressing your heart with the issue of favoritism. It's the place that the church should be looking to first is Jesus Christ. Because if you think of all those who are rich and poor, in which James gives some examples here, all of the rich are poor and poor are nothing in comparison to the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not seek to find approval from other people. Seek to find approval with Jesus Christ. And that comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior. Seek His approval, not man's. And if you are a follower of Christ, you must be reminded, as I try to say frequently and regularly and maybe even weekly, that because of what Christ has done to save you, your faith in Christ alone, you are approved. You've been adopted. You have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. And so even though you are called and commanded and directed to do good works, Ephesians 2.10, and that flows from the Holy Spirit working in you, it doesn't raise the approval rating with God. He's already approved of you. You're his child, a part of his kingdom. But you are to be obedient to him. And we should desire in our hearts to please him because we love him. But if you think about the Lord of glory, the King of glory, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gave up his glory in heaven and came down. Think back to Christmas. The babe in the manger. Jesus Christ, who is God, did not give up his divinity, but added to his divinity humanity. And he was born in the manger. And the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 
He says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Do you see? It's not about financial wealth. It's about spiritual wealth that only comes through Jesus Christ alone. And therefore, Jesus Christ gave up his glory in heaven, added humanity to himself. He was born into a poor family. Jesus said that as he ministered here on this earth, he said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he gave that up to go to the cross to shed his blood which forgives his people and cleanses them and saves them from their sin. And he did that in obedience to the Father. And if he had not, there would be no salvation for anyone. So James says to look to Jesus to focus our minds and our hearts in how we are showing favoritism or not. And so James says, don't do it in verse 1. If you look at verses 2 through 4, James says, it is evil. Favoritism is evil. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but as I reflected this week, when I read James's words, I know that there are times in my life where I have showed favoritism to others. And when I reflect on that, I never thought once in my mind that that is evil in the Lord's eyes. But all sin is evil. But sometimes I think we categorize things and think, well, these are the evil sins, and these are kind of, oh, bad sins over here. James flat out says favoritism is evil. Let that sink in for a moment. If you look at church services here in America in the 1700s, the way that some of the churches function when people would enter into the place of worship, you would have the farmers coming in first, the, the poor coming in, and the slaves, and they had to find seats in the back and stand in the back or sit on the ground, even based on their status as farmers, poor people, and slaves. After that, then all the rich and wealthy would come in to the place of worship, and they would have their key. And they would go in some of these churches to their key and unlock the wall around their pews that they had purchased. And they would open the door, go in, sit down, and close the door. Imagine if that was how we gathered here, and we had some boxed-off seats, and you came in with your key, and the people who couldn't afford a seat stood in the back, and, and they washed and waited, I mean, this is a picture of what James is trying to address, and you may think, oh, we're not like that today. And I'd say, hold on. I believe it's a great temptation in the church today. Because we do, in many ways, show favoritism. And James gives an example here in verses 2 through 4 of a rich person and a poor person who comes in and obviously they're new to the congregation. They don't need to be, they don't know where to seat because he talks about where they seat them in the place there. And know this, you may think right away, James is condemning rich people. Read the text. He doesn't make any judgment on that. 
We have all kinds of scripture which warns us about wealth and having wealth and the danger of wealth. But James is not condemning the wealthy because simply a wealthy man comes in and a poor man comes in. What he's doing is calling to account the church who are seating the people and showing favoritism in one way or another. Look at verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man into, in shabby clothing also comes in. So James says, if. He says, if this happens, the rich man and the poor man comes in, watch out. Do not discriminate. Do not show favoritism. It says to come into the assembly, the place where the people of God gather to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. The place where, as James was writing, to these Jewish Christians where they were meeting at. And he says a gold ring or a fine clothing. The word used when you see they put this robe on Jesus when they mocked him after they beat him. This fine clothing that they would come into. He describes this man with gold. Again, he's not condemning the rich man. He's pointing it out for them to watch out. And then the poor man. Maybe he's the homeless person who only has one change of clothes, comes in, a common person, one who maybe day by day relying on God to give them whatever they need for their food. He says in verse 3, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Do you see how wrong that is? And some of you, this is like common sense. You're like, of course this is wrong. We would never do that here at Discovery. But think about other ways. Not just where people sit, but fellowship among the body of Christ. There's people who are visiting first time today. I would say over the past two months, we have first-time visitors every single week. And I wonder if they come into this place and is, do they find discovery as a place that shows favoritism because we want to gather naturally with the people that we know. There's nothing wrong with that. But then when we do that to the fact where we ignore someone who maybe doesn't even know the grace of God yet and they're coming to this place because God's brought them here and no one ever says a word to them or greets them or says, how are you doing? To find out if they have any needs in their life, we are showing favoritism and partiality. You could argue with me all you want to say, well, I wasn't doing that on purpose. I hadn't seen this person in seven days. I haven't seen them since Wednesday Bible study. Yes, fellowship is sweet. I love Sunday nights because we gather and we eat a meal afterwards. If you don't know, we meet at 5 o'clock and we're in the Word together and then people bring food and we sit in the lobby and share. I love that. But does the person, like they say, the rich or the poor or whoever that comes into the place of worship experience favoritism or not? In the, some of the early churches, there's only a few chairs. Most would stand or most would sit. Again, imagine us today, someone walk in the door and let's say it's pretty packed in here, and you say, hey, come over here, come sit on the floor right here in front of this blue chair in front of me. Yeah, just squeeze on in there. I mean, it'd be insulting in one sense. 
or not in one sense, a lot of ways. There's reading of some of the early churches where the deacons in the church would seat people. And if so, is James addressing the leaders as well? The ushers, the deacons, watch out where you set the people. Don't give the rich man the great seat up front and the poor person to sit it back in the dirt at the feet of the other people. Verse 4, he says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This is where the favoritism is evil. Because really what you are doing, we, this word favoritism uh, comes up or partiality comes up, and it's evil because what it is is you are making yourself the judge. And our Lord, our God, our Heavenly Father is the holy, righteous, just judge. We are not, and we're told through Scripture, do not judge others. And so when we are showing favoritism, we are judging others. John chapter 7, verse 24 says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. But how many times do you, like I, fail and we judge people by their looks. Maybe not here when you gather. You're in town, you're driving somewhere, you see someone, and sometimes your heart can be so quickly to judge and condemn. You see something happening, and automatically you make a judgment call, and you don't even know what was going on in the situation. That's why James says this is evil. It's sin. It's not to be a part of your life as a follower of Christ. In Leviticus, in the Old Testament, in chapter 19, verse 15, the Word of God says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Even there in Leviticus, there's this aspect of not showing favoritism. Don't judge the poor this way. Don't judge the rich this way. Be a righteous judge. And yet at the same time, a believer battles with favoritism, or you name the sin, and there's this warning to not have a divided heart between being in the world and being of the world, being following and trusting in God and living like the rest of the world. James here in the verse 4 uses the same word we saw in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, the double-minded man. If you weren't here, he spoke of that. He used the same description here, not to be double-minded, to be focused on the word of God and to be, be obedient to him. Look at James. Turn over to chapter 4. Because you'll see, we'll come to this again in a few weeks. In verse 11, in verses 11 through 12 of James 4, it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? 
Again, your neighbor. How many judgment calls did you make on coworkers, students in your classes, teachers, neighbors, or maybe family members in the past month where you've made yourself the judge and you were evil in that and sinned against them and God because you are judging them. When we show favoritism, we are acting in evil ways. Therefore, don't do it because it's evil. And the third point in verses 5 through 7, when we are showing favoritism, it's in complete contradiction to who God is who our Heavenly Father is. We spent last fall numbers of weeks studying the attributes of God which tell us that He's holy, completely holy, that He's just, that He's righteous, that He's all-powerful, that He's all-knowing, that He's omnipresent, that He always sees us, that we can't escape the Lord God Almighty. And we saw His mercy, and we saw His forgiveness, and we saw His justice and righteousness. And when we see those things from God's word, pay attention, man and woman of God, because we are to pursue personal holiness that is found in Jesus Christ, and we are to imitate our Lord and Savior. Therefore, don't show favoritism because it contradicts who our Heavenly Father is. Look at verses 5 through 7 here in James. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? Again, it is not a problem or issue to be wealthy, but being wealthy can bring a whole lot of trouble to your life. For some who are wealthy Christians, they find themselves in great trouble when they do not steward what God has given them well. When they hoard it for themselves and they are not generous with what God has given them, when they do not bless others in need, then they are bringing trouble on themselves between them and the Lord. The more money, the more wealth, the more things you own, the more temptation to hoard it and spend it all on yourself. At the same time, those who are poor financially can be just as wicked and sinful and evil as those who are wealthy. Therefore, favoritism is wrong because it contradicts God's attitude in what we see in how He saves His people from their sins. As James writes this, you must remember he's writing to believers. He's writing to wealthy and poor believers in the church and drawing them to be obedient to the Lord and therefore that they would look upon the body of Christ and not see status and wealth, but they would see those who are followers of Christ and have that wonderful fellowship with them And to also see when the poor or the rich who is not a follower of Christ comes in, that those people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look at verses 6 through 7, 
if you would read some of the things that were going on in the early church, some of the concerns is that there were Christians in churches that were wealthy who were, in a sense, persecuting other Christians in the fellowship together or, again, wrongly um, in wrong relationships. And so James, again, says it's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not wrong to be poor. He makes no judgment in that, but that you would guard your heart from doing so. There's a number of wealthy people in the Bible that the Word of God tells us they had faith in God, and today they're with the Lord. You think of Abraham, wealthy man, a man of faith. You think of Job, a wealthy man. Think of Levi the tax collector, who Jesus called to follow him. Probably had some money. Think about Zacchaeus, the rich man, when Jesus said, I'm going to go to the sinner's house today. Think about how God chose the nation of Israel and brought them out of slavery and poverty for his own glory. And think about how God saves his people today who are poor in spirit who are sinners and without Jesus Christ are condemned for all eternity, separated from God Almighty. And so when you read here in verse 5, God chose his church to be rich in faith, to be heirs of the kingdom of God. And if you don't understand that, that's a wealth which you can't even measure. To have the inheritance set before you in heaven, it's not just the streets of gold. Because, you know, we read the book of Revelation and we read the description and we read of the new heavens and new earth. We're like, I can't wait to walk on that street of gold that's like as shiny as glass and I can't wait to see those gates of heaven and all these things. Yes, God in His glory and creating that and making a new heavens and new earth. But do you understand, believer, your inheritance is Jesus. Your inheritance is seeing God face to face. Your inheritance is being with Him eternal life in heaven forever. Not being condemned to hell where the wrath of God the Father is upon you for eternity. That is for all those who reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus himself is clear. Heaven is real. Heaven is hot. And it's forever the wrath of God the Father upon all those who are wicked sinners who reject Jesus Christ and do not believe in him. For the believer... He says, you're rich in faith. And with that, a great kingdom and inheritance of God set before you. So, Christian in the room, believer in the room, brother, sister, Christ in the room, you are to have the same concern for the poor and helpless and the wealthy as God has for you. 
Romans chapter 15, verse 7, it says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but some of you may find this issue where I remember finding myself at a church a number of years ago. There was a man who would come in on Sunday mornings, and I was like, oh, Lord, not him. And I was serving as an associate pastor at the time. And some of you would be like, pastor, that's horrible. I'm like, oh, here he comes again. It was sin in my heart. And this man was faithful. We would gather with a team before church, and we'd pray for a while before the service would start. But I'd see him come, and I'm like, oh, man, not him. And one day, he's coming up, and, and I, always, I always think he's going to just distract me. He's always got something to complain or whatever. And he comes up, and he walks up to me, and I'm like, oh, here it goes. And he just lays into encouraging me and saying he wants to pray for me. And I was just like, oh. I was sharing with the men's retreat this weekend. The Lord convicted my heart, and I felt horrible. Because what I was doing is I didn't want to, I was showing favoritism because I wanted to talk to these other people, and I didn't want to talk to this guy. And I remember after our group then prayed and he was there, I talked with him afterwards and had to ask for forgiveness because I was wrong a brother in Christ, just because I thought he was annoying. And I wonder how many of us do that today. Or someone in the body of Christ who sinned against you, and you don't want to forgive them like Christ has forgiven you. So why should I talk to that person? They haven't asked for my forgiveness. Show them the grace and mercy of God and ask the Lord to help you forgive them, just as Christ has forgiven you of your sins. Look at verse 6. He says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? He asked three questions here. The first of being, are not the rich the ones who, who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Again, some of the issues of the oppression and persecution of the early church. One of those people, before he saw Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul, and what he was bringing against the church. A man who thought he was doing things right in the Lord. This, in a sense, showing favoritism and bringing persecution on all, upon the believers. Don't give favor to anyone Don't show favor to anyone. The Old Testament prophets, they denounced the rich who oppressed the poor. And therefore, just as the early church battled, I'm sure today, many gatherings of the body of Christ, there are rich believers, wealthy believers, who oppress the poor believers in the church. You would be warned of this. Amos the prophet in chapter 4 says, Hear the, this word, you cows of Bashan. That's a title. <laughs> who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy. 
The prophet Ezekiel says this in chapter 22, verses 6 through 7. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, every one according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow, uh, widow are wronged in you. So if you are a follower of Christ and you're a Christian and you have wealth, know that that's not condemned that you have wealth. Be guarded in your heart and pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to steward your wealth well, well and to not show favoritism to others. One of the ways that I know that, that, because there can be a temptation in my heart as a pastor when people in the church tell me what they give financially to the church. I'll just be honest. There's a temptation there to favor those people or to give them attention. That's why I don't know what anyone gives in this church. I can. I have the full right to look at a list. I could pull up a sheet. And I just know names of people who give and how many givers we have in the church. And one of the things I've asked our leadership to look for is if people stop giving regularly, not to go, hey, hey, we need your money. Pastor needs to get paid. He's got five kids and a wife he needs to feed. No. I find that many times people stop giving because they're in financial hurt. And the elders in the church need to know that so that we can in turn help and serve one another and meet those needs. But I know that if I saw a list of what everyone gave, there would be a temptation in my heart to show favoritism to others or not. And you might say, that's horrible. I'm just being honest with you. It's a temptation that I would then fall into that sin. The, second, the other question here, it says here in verse 7, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? <clears throat> As a believer and a follower of God, you are hated by this world. If you are a Christian, you are hated by those who are not Christians in this world. You may say, no, no, I have some good friends who are not Christians. But Jesus is clear. The world does not like the light. And Jesus Christ, the light of life, he lives in the believer. The world does not love you. The world does not want you. Because they do not want Christ. And so he says here again, the rich are blaspheming the name of Jesus Christ. They are slandering God when they criticize, mock, and make fun of Christians. And what they do not understand is the great love of Jesus for each of his people. And I would... There's more to this, which we read on next week. And so it's like a two-part. And the law is addressed. You might say, well, we got favoritism down. Well, we don't have all of the text here. But I would end this with this last that, that verse there in 7 and remind you that God the Father loves His church. God the Father loves His adopted children so much so that He would give His Son for you. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Again, Jesus Christ gave up his wealth of glory in heaven for a time and added humanity to his divinity and lived this world for a period of time and was not a wealthy man, was not born into a wealthy family, yet he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And what Jesus Christ did is that he never showed favoritism. He never showed favoritism. So you look to Christ. But also with that, he never sinned. Jesus Christ never broke the law. We'll see in what James addresses next week with the law. Jesus never broke the law. And you think, yeah, but when he was a kid, kids, they're sinners. Well, we're all sinners. Jesus never disobeyed his parents. He never disobeyed his heavenly Father. He upheld the law perfectly, fulfilled it. And because of that, when he was nailed to the cross and his blood was poured out from his body, he hung there, and yet the physical torture was tremendous. It is something we can't even imagine that we would even go through. The, the most struggling, most hurtful part, that troubling that he went through was God the Father pouring out his wrath meant for you on his son Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he who became sin, who knew no sin, he died there so that his people could become the righteousness of God. Therefore, if you are here as a follower of Christ, you should give thanks to the Lord that he's not one that shows favoritism and he has great love for you and he's adopted you because he's brought you to this point of believing in him and your faith in him is by what you are saved and you give thanks, Jesus, that you would die for me in my place. And you also praise him because is Jesus in the tomb? Is Jesus dead? No, he's alive. He's risen. He's in heaven. He is ruling, reigning, and he says, he promises, I will return. And we pray, looking up, Jesus return. Please come now. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know your rejection of Jesus Christ leads to eternal separation in hell for all eternity. Scripture is clear by that. As the worship team comes forward, I would like to read one last passage from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, showing us... Christ's love for us, showing that this love is so great. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in, Je in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we glorify your name, we lift up your name, we praise you and give you thanks that you would love us so greatly and give us your son, that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would give us faith to believe, that you would do a work that is just impossible for man to do. And we thank you, Jesus, that you were obedient and you gave your life for us and humbled yourself and served us. Holy Spirit, help us to follow that example, to serve one another, to love our neighbor as ourself, to show no favoritism to one another, to be people who care for one another, to be people who are godly people who are seeking and pursuing holiness and righteousness, and that your love would abound in our lives. Father, for any who are far from you and not a follower of Christ in this place, I pray that in this moment, would you show them your grace at the cross? Would you show them the blood that you've shed? Would you open their eyes to the truth that they would believe in you and be saved? We praise you, Jesus.